Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anna Chavrita, Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Rosh Hashanah, daf Lamed Gimel, page 33. We're in the home stretch. This is it. We've got a few more days, and then on Sunday, we begin Masachet Ta'anit. On Sunday also, of course, is our siyum for Masachet Rosh Hashanah at 10 a.m. East Coast of the United States time and 5 p.m. Israel time. And as always, you can do the math. Tom Rosenfeld will be with us to discuss the astronomy of the celestial beings of Rosh Chodesh, and we look forward to seeing you then. Um, I would say that we're almost in the wrap-up stage, Yerdana, that we've got some tidbits here that, of course, we need to discuss in the context of Shofar, um, but they're, they're not, if anything about Rosh Hashanah has been organized in a very systematic way, and I think some of it really has, even if we thought that the Mishnayot kind of broke at interesting points, I would say that here we've got some like, oh yeah, and here's some of that detail and another detail. So I'm going to do some of those. And then we've got another Mishnah that I'll hand off to you, Yerdina. Um, the Gemara here is talking about the previous Mishnah. It says, Manitin Mani, who is the Tana of the Mishnah, the previous Mishnah, on the previous stuff, um, where, where it discusses um, using water or wine to refine the Shofar. Abba Sha'ulhi. So the Gemara answers that it's Abba Sha'ul who is the Tana behind this position. There's a break where Abba Sha'ul is the one named who says that you can use water or wine to pour either of those liquids into a shofar on Rosh Hashanah itself in order to clarify the sound. Whatever the liquid would do to the horn itself is something beneficial. To make it clear. May um, raglaim, so this is a nice, nice euphemism. The water of the feet, which means urine, asur. So it is prohibited to do so, not because it won't work, right? The Gemara's presumption is that it will work, but then it says mitneha kavod. But that would be a, a not respectful way to handle your shofar to use urine to clarify the sound. Don't do it. Use you could use water or wine instead, and using urine would be asur, would be prohibited. Um, Urine is used for all kinds of curing of leather and so on. It's not that it was inherently <clears throat> taboo in the same way that we might relate to it nowadays. I'm not sure. Um, okay. The Mishnah, the Gemara continues with another citation from the Mishnah. So if you recall, the Mishnah was talking about how we don't prevent kids from playing with a chauffeur meaning from blowing a shofar for fun to see if they can get the sound out of it. And I think we've all been there or know kids who, who are there. Ha nashim makvin. The implication of the, of the Mishnah saying that we allow the children, we don't stop the children from playing around, is that there would be a problem were women to want to play around with the shofar just to, just to see if they can get a sound out of it, right? <clears throat> because the fact that it specifies tinokot, kids as opposed and really young kids as opposed to um saying women and minors and and deaf all, all the all the usual suspects where there's an exemption that's not the case this is specifically an exemption for the young kids and if a woman wanted to show sound the shofar then you would stop her from doing so Macveen, meaning you stop her from playing around which then will then raise the question of course does that mean that she can blow the shofar to be Yotzi or to be Motzi people, right? Can can she? Because her playing around is not 
is not considered acceptable. So the Gemara here continues. Vahatanya ain makvin lo etanashim velo etinokot militko abiyomtov. Well, one second. There's another brighter that says we don't prevent women or children from blowing on yantif, from blowing shofar on yantif. So that seems to suggest. Uh, well, it is inherently a contradiction to the Mishnah's statement about the children only. So what's going on here? Do we allow women to blow, to play around or not? Amar Abaye, lo kasha. Abaye is not bothered by this apparent contradiction. Ha, Rabbi Yehuda, ha, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon. We've just got a difference of opinion here between Rabbi Yehuda, which is the Mishnah, right? And the Brita here, which is Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon were more willing to put women's attempt to, to get a sound out of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah itself with the children and Rabbi Huda, who codified the Mishnah, says no. Like This would be that they are not in the same category as children, of children in this case. So I found this to be interesting because, as I said, we do get to this discussion, not here, but the question of, you know, can women uh, can, are women obligated in the midst of shofar? And the point here, I think, is that I think Rabbi Huda's position, saying that they cannot just stop play around with it, it aligns with the idea that, of course, women are going to be chayev in the mitzvah. So once they're chayev in the mitzvah, then they can't just play around with it, as opposed to kids who who are below the age of majority, so they don't have a chayev, they don't have an obligation in the mitzvah yet at all. Whereas if you say that, well, maybe they don't have that obligation, then they're playing around with it to see if they can get a sound out of the chauffeur, is not is not messing with the other way that they would blow the shofar, namely for the sake of having it be an actual mitzvah to blow. Well, it's interesting because usually women and children are put in the same category. And here we have an example where the halacha is really very different for two of them. And that's not typical of what we usually see. So the reason behind it makes a lot of sense. I'm just noting that it's not typical to see that difference. Right. Agreed. Uh, I'm going to move on to the Mishnah here. And now the Mishnah is going to get, and the Gemara is going to get into a lot of actual detail about the length of the sounds and what the sounds of the shofar should be like, which again is a little bit difficult because it's in written word. Um, today, if we were writing Gemara, we would just put it up on the internet and we would just have a sample <laughs> of somebody blowing the shofar. Seder Tikiot Shalosh Shel Shalosh Shalosh. So the order of the shofar blasts are three sets of three sounds each, meaning you do three sets of Tikiot Tru Tikiot. Now, this is totally not what we do today, right? We actually blow uh, about a hundred kolots. We make a hundred sounds, but the very basic was was that you had three sets uh, of these three sounds. So in other words, you did Tikiot Tru Tikiot Tikiot Tru Tikiot Tikiot Tru Tikiot. She or kishlosh truot, and the the shear of the tikia has to be of three truot. She or trua kishlosh yavavot, and the the shear of one trua needs to be like what they're calling here, like three uh, whimpers. So remember that the trua consists of sort of the three, uh, it's you know three of these short notes that are possible. Um, but it's interesting, and the gemara will get into this. What is it called? Is it called the Yivavot or is it called uh, called Shvarim? Um, so then the Trua really ends up being sort of those, uh, if it's the Shvarim, right, it ends up being sort of those nine consecutive, uh, you know, sort of th- that whimpering sound, right? That da, 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 da. So that's what they're trying to, but the Gemara will focus on the fact that it's Yivavot. Takaba Rishona Umashach Bavshniya. Right, Kishtain. Let's say you blew the first Takiya normally, 
and then you prolong the second tekiot for the duration of two tekiot, right? Um, he only gets one to his credit. In other words, um, he doesn't, it's not, that long tekiah counts as the final tekiah for the first set, but it doesn't go towards counting towards the second set. Right, if somebody basically said musaf without doing shofar, and then afterwards a shofar becomes available becomes to him. He still he should blow then the tekiah true tekiah three times. So in other words, the point here is that he doesn't have to go back and say musaf. He just has to do his obligation of shofar then. And then finally, now as we're talking about prayer, the mission is going to conclude with just a statement about prayer. Just as the uh, the shliach tzibor, the, the the person davening on behalf of the congregation, is obligated to say the prayer, every individual is also obligated. That the shliach uh, tzibor actually uh, is motzi, right? Basically, fulfills the obligation of the individual. So the end of this mission is very interesting in terms of thinking about what's the purpose of the shliach tzibor. Is the shliach tzibor there to sort of guide the individual, to have every individuals join a communal prayer, but yet the individual is responsible for their prayer? Or is it, they really are davening on behalf of everybody, and therefore if you didn't daven musaf, but the shliach tzibor daven musaf, you actually didn't have an obligation uh, to daven to daven musaf. Because in other words, you can rely on the Shliach uh, Sibor's prayer. So this will be discussed more tomorrow and uh, on tomorrow's stop and on the last stop, actually. So we'll, we'll actually probably table this till the, till the last stop. And so then the Gemara goes on, but Hatanya, right? It was taught in Abraisa, Shior Tekiah Keturah, that the length of Tekiah is like a single Trua, right? Um, and so, you know, this Bryce is sort of dis- discusses it differently, that the length of Tekiah is like a single Trua, so our Tana, right, is counting the Tekiyas of all three sets of the blast and the truest of all three sets of all, of all three sets. Meaning he means that the length of the three opening Tekiya blasts, right, of the three sets equals the length of the three true blasts in those three sets. Right. And so and the three closing tekiahs are also of this length. Right. So that's how he says it. Whereas the Tana of the Bryce accounts, those of one set and, and no more, meaning that the Tana of the second Bryce here is talking about that the length of the opening tekiah in each set equals the length of the trua. So um, so it's a little bit confusing. You almost have to like map out the lengths. That's what almost what I would say uh, to do there. Um, and then finally, now they get into this discussion about the Yivavot. Shir Tura Kishlosh Yivavot, right? So now they're going to say Vahatan, that they quote a price, Shir Tura Kishlosh Shvarim. Wait, the length of the Tura is supposed to be like the Shvarim, um, which are those, you know, those broken, those broken blasts. And that's actually supposedly a longer duration, duration uh, than the Yivavot, which are whimpers. That's what Rashi actually says. So Amar Abai, so what is it the day the time of our mission and the time of this price? So what are they actually disagreeing about? Um, you know, we can't, we, they seem to be talking about two different lengths. So Yavava is different than a Shvarim. 
right? So they quote a pasuk here from Bamidbar, chapter 29, verse 1, which says, it's a dre of true sounding, it should be for you. And so the Targum says that this is a day of Yavava. So remember, the Targum was the person who would come and sort of translate what these pasukim mean, and they're translating Trua to mean Yavava, right? So that's the Targum. Right? But then we have with Sisra, and this is the very famous piece of the shofar, right? So everyone, if you know the story, it's in Shoftim, it's in Judges chapter 5, verse 28, right? Where we had Sisra. Sisra gets killed by Yael, right? And so it says, um, Sisra, right? Through the window, she looked and she cried. So again, this is the story with, um, uh, with, uh, with Devorah and Boaz. And Sisera eventually gets killed by Yael. And this is the, she- the Shira that's, you know, sort of given afterwards, recapping what happened. And so it describes how the mother of Sisera sort of looked at the window and she cries. And the way that they describe it is this, you know, was this Yivava, right? So this is very, very famous in terms of describing. So that's how we know that Yivava refers to some type of crying. It's from this Pasuk. But what the Machlokas is over is what type of crying is this actual, right? So our Mishnah seems to use the term Yavava to mean a, a, a whimper because apparently that's how it was used more in Talmudic times, but it's not necessarily the same as the Yavava as it was used in uh, in the Psukim, right? In 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 the in the actual Tanakh. So what they explained here is basically Marsava Ganche Ganach, right? So one person, this is one master. We're talking here about the Brisa Hold. Basically, the Yavava is some type of it's some type of moaning, right? So uh, Rashi explains that this may be like the cry that comes from a person who's sick, okay? Umar Saba Yalulule Yalil, right? And the other master, meaning the time of our Mishnah, holds that a Yavava is sobbing, right? So he describes the Trua basically as more like short, like some type of, of whimper. So again, I, I, th- I personally find this passage very confusing because it's using words. First of all, it's Hebrew words. They're not even sure what it means. The context of what it means in a pasuk may be different in a pasuk versus what it is in Mishneh or Talmudic times. And, and it's a word describing a sound. And it's trying to make a very nuanced distinction between what moaning sounds like versus crying. Now, I know what that means in English, but I don't really know what that means when you say Yavava versus Yalule versus Shfarim. So this passage to me was very, very confusing. And I guess I just want to point out sort of the limitation of describing sound with written word. So the part that I like perhaps always the best of this particular daf is the part that's found in Sefer Shoftim about this, the mother of Sisra, who becomes this model. Like, what is she? Who do we care about her at all? Right? That she's the model for the sound. And so while I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's really hard to get a handle on the sounds by virtue of the words that are used to describe them, the emotion that's behind the sound, the most, the emotion that's captured in this chauffeur sound becomes very clear because this idea that his mother is waiting and waiting and waiting at the window till he comes home from war and then he doesn't come and he doesn't come and he doesn't come, that, that prolonged, you know, not quite yet sure whether you're mourning what kind of thing, of a mother waiting for a son, I think is something that you don't have to be a mother waiting for a son to understand the emotion behind it. And that I think becomes palpable. 
And then we can talk about, well, is that a staccato sound or is that a long wail or whatever? Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF and some of the sounds that it tries to describe with words on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.